Thank you so much for this class, for these folks. For we, we understand that um, you have uh, providentially, sovereignly brought them here to this church and, uh, and they're considering membership. And that means uh, that we will be accountable for them uh, and then them to us. And uh, that's a big deal. And so Lord, please uh, help us to um, have godly oversight over these folks and help them to uh, have and exercise godly submission as we follow you. Um, but anyway, this class, Lord, I need, I need clarity, I need help, I, need, I pray that you'll give me clarity. And, and Lord, I also pray for Mark, that as he tells us who he is and what he's done and how you saved him, um, that you'll encourage our hearts through his testimony. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Mark Drinkard is, uh, let me give you a little background about Mark. He was an elder before me um, and then stepped away to pursue studies. He's pursuing a PhD um, and then came to us, um, well, I don't know, a year and a half ago and just said, hey, I want to get my skin back in the game. Um, he didn't like sitting on the sidelines. He wanted to get his head out of a book and back into the church uh, stuff. He still got his head in a book, um, but he is back in the saddle. Uh, and so um, he went through a small process of, uh, you know, just uh, we didn't want to just have people assume we didn't do anything with Mark. We did. We thought and, you know, we talked to him. And, and so he's back in uh, as an elder. And um, for me personally, uh, he is a tremendous challenge to me personally. Um, Mark's a really smart guy. He's academically smart. Uh, I've said this many times to maybe to you folks, I don't know, um, but I'm the only one on the other board that doesn't have any kind of academic background in, I haven't been to seminary, never went to Bible college. It's just uh, 30, 30, 40 years of living the Christian life and learning things. So life experience. So I have more life experience than anybody else on the on the board, um, but these guys, uh, I really, I learned tremendously from them, and Mark's one of them. So, Mark, come forward and tell us how you got saved and who you are and what you do. Okay. Yeah. Well, hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, my name is Mark Drinkard, and uh, my wife and I, our family, has been uh, a new community since uh, originally back in uh, 2007, so it's been almost 16 years. Uh, that we've been here, or I guess just at 16 years. So it's been quite a while, and it's great to see all of you. Uh, it's very encouraging to us to see people who want to join the church. Um, uh, it's not a magical thing, membership. It's just uh, you see in the New Testament this kind of idea of a uh, group of believers kind of committing to a group of leaders and that kind of uh, mutual exchange of accountability and understanding. Uh, and so it's very helpful for us when you do make that step because then we know who we're responsible for um, uh, in a spiritual way. So um, it's very encouraging for us when you guys come and do this. And, and even if you're not yet at the point where you know you want to join, but you're just trying to find out more information, that's really encouraging to us. So uh, please don't hesitate to ask any of us any questions about membership or about this church. Of course, Doug is um, a great resource. Um, he does a really good job of explaining um, your role as a, uh, a member of the body and our role as um, elders in um, you know, that relationship. So um, my testimony, I grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas, which is um, 
uh, on the coast of Texas, Gulf of Mexico. It's a small like um, energy, uh, military, retirement type community. Um, about you know three hundred thousand people, and Corpus Christi means Body of Christ, right? Um, uh, but I uh, grew up in kind of theologically moderate churches. Um, so I actually, even though I grew up in Texas, which is the Bible Belt, I didn't actually hear the gospel until I was 15 years old. So um, that's part of my uh, interest in theology and doing cor correct, proper theology is uh, for that reason. Um, so I'd always, you know, kind of heard this idea of Jesus dying for my sins, Jesus dying for the sins of the world. You know, I'd heard this and certainly believed it um, you know, intellectually in my head, uh, but it really took kind of hearing the gospel repeatedly, um, finally at a church that did preach the gospel when I was 15, um, for me to for really kind of stick, not just hearing it from the pulpit, but hearing it in a youth group and from other uh, kids my age, um, this idea that, you know, okay, Jesus died for my sins, what exactly does that mean? Well, that means that I have sin and I need someone to die for me. That's, that was a, mm -hmm. a, a, the next step, a connection, getting over the hump for me. Um, and so um, I was 16 and uh, realized my need for the Savior um, and humbled myself and, and asked uh, Christ to be the Lord of my life. Uh, again, that was when I was 16 years old. I got baptized at 17. Um, I had, my dad actually had gone to uh, University of Texas. Um, I was a... Uh, I thought I would always go there, and I was a, um, as a brand new believer, uh, I started learning a lot about um, the state of that school, uh, and so um, it's just, at that time, well, it still is uh, rather liberal um, uh, as far as teaching and, uh, you know, as far as community of finding believers and all that, it's a little bit harder, so I actually ended up going to A&M, which my dad couldn't stand. Um, but it was, uh, you know, the A&M has a large, large Christian community, and um, so that's ended up going there with several friends from the youth group, uh, and that's where I really kind of grew and got um, really involved in doing ministry, um, college ministry on campus and all kinds of other things, and I met my wife through that. Um, she was, she had grown up in the Houston area, and um uh, so met her, uh, we dated off and on there for a while, and then uh, moved up to uh, DFW, uh, was working in accounting there, and um, uh, we got married, um, started having kids, and when we um, uh, had, had done a little bit of seminary then, and uh, kind of thought about where we were going to settle, you know, kind of that, um, I don't know, uh, five or six years into marriage, time to buy a house, time to settle down, time to uh, really find the find the job you want to be at for a while, that kind of stuff. And um, we decided we didn't want to uh, settle right in the heart of the Bible Belt. So uh, we started looking around. Sarah had actually right out of college, lived in St. Louis for about a year, uh, Sarah, my wife. And um, so we decided to move to St. Louis. So we moved here in tw uh, 2007. Um, we have uh, three kids, Lucy, who's uh, a sophomore in college, uh, Nate, who's 16, a junior in high school, and then Cole is 15, who's a sophomore in high school. So, um, and we've been kind of serving this church, um, 
uh, for a long time now. So um, as he said, I was on the elder board. I originally came on in uh, 2015 uh, and then uh, spent about four years on the board and then uh, stepped away to uh, kind of focus on these PhD studies. Uh, got through a lot of the harder um, seminars. These seminars are like, you know, they're like three and a half months of intense study and you go there for a week and present a lot of papers and all that. So I got through a lot of the hard ones and then uh, was able to come back on the board. Um, I'm actually the uh, elder over the youth ministry. So if you have a connection to youth ministry, kids in youth ministry, anything like that, happy to talk to you about our, our uh, youth ministry here. Um, what else? I also teach on Sunday mornings a lot. Um, you'll see my name on the classes going through the latter prophets right now. And um, yeah, my passions are, are biblical theology. That's the emphasis I'm doing in my PhD. I'm going to be writing on uh, next year, start my dissertation. I'll be writing on the Gospels, um, specifically uh, this idea of the fourfold Gospel and why there wasn't just one Gospel. Uh, what is the um, what are the effects of having the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how should we read them together as a, a larger collection? So that's what my dissertation will be on. I'll be working on that next year. And um, what else? Um, what does Sarah do? Sarah is uh, a part-time uh, administrative assistant here for, at the church, so you'll see her name a lot. Um, Sarah Drinkard. Um, any questions? Yeah. How do we contact Sarah? Yeah. Because <laughs> I know she sent me some things, but how do we contact her? Is there a phone number or is there, or is it email? Or is it yeah, email. You can email her. That's probably the easiest What's way. The email? Uh, so it should be S A R A at N C C. Did she email you, Holly? Um, I actually, it came from the pastor. Oh, okay. But it was just her, her name was on it. I'm, I'm trying to connect people. Yeah. And yeah. so I thought, oh, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah's your wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sarah at ncc-stl.org. Thank you. But you can also find her on the website. You know, the um, yeah, or in the yeah, directory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you want to call her. I'll you give you your... Yeah, Holly, the director. Okay, do you I, have the app? Yeah. I'll give okay, you your... It's on I'll give you her phone number, too. It's 314... Five four zero, eight five six three. And yeah, she'll be happy to help you for whatever. Thank you. Good question. Yeah. I, I thought, oh, I don't. I can connect people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How do you feel about Texas football? <laughs> oh man, well, she just stepped right in. I was gonna talk about Texas that. has a really good team. They have a really good team. I mean, they're in the Big Twelve, so they don't really play anybody. But yeah, they have a good team. Yeah. Yeah. Your education, like, I know where you went to undergrad, but what school are you going to or what is your future? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Midwestern Seminary, so it's one of the six um, Southern Baptist seminaries, and they're in Kansas City, so they offer a modular program for their um, for their PhDs. So I wanted to do a, a Biblical Theology PhD for a long time, um, but, you know, when I uh, originally wanted to do it, it was back in, you know, twenty. 2005, 2006, and I had uh, already had one child and another one on the way, and um, so it just didn't really make sense to, I, I thought about it, going into debt and all that, and just knocking it out in three years, but um, uh, this this came along, um, they're the first, there's several of these seminaries that are offering kind of these modular programs for um, 
different types of PhDs. This was the first one to offer it in biblical theology. So, um, so the benefit is I don't have to pick up my family and move there and just focus on it for three years. Uh, you know, the flip side or the downside is it takes a lot longer. So um, it'll be, you know, probably six years before I can finish it. Your so. job is, your job is I, I'm still in accounting. I'm a, a CPA. I work in uh, commercial real estate. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even mention that. It's obviously yeah. <laughs> not my main, main, main concern or care, so. <laughs> Your heart isn't there. Yeah, my heart is, my heart is not there, yeah, but, but, good, but I do, it's a, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. God, God takes care of me. Emerson, do you have another question? Yeah. Tell us about Cole. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, Cole is our youngest, and uh, he is 15. Uh, he... Um, he was born in Calcutta, India, and we uh, adopted him when he was one years old. Uh, we brought him back home, and uh, like two days later, he turned one. So, um, uh, you know, a lot of health problems when he was uh, really young. So when he, we brought him back, he looked like a, you know, he was premature, tuberculosis, pneumonia, all that kind of stuff. He's in the hospital the first two months of his life. So when we brought him home, he looked more like a six-month-old than a, a one-year-old. Um, and, uh, you know, he's Indian descent, so he's kind of naturally a little smaller. So he's still a small, I mean, he's, I think he's 5'2 now, 5'3 maybe. Um, so, but um, you'll see him around. He's uh, actually, he will love to talk to you. If you go up and talk to him, he'll talk to you for uh, a long time. He's the most extroverted person probably in the whole church. So other than maybe Doug. <laughs> uh, so, and he'll love to talk to you about whatever, but you know, especially if you want to talk about the Cardinals or the Blues, uh, he, will, he will talk your ear off about that stuff. So um, stats. stats, he's a stats guy. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, he's uh, yeah professing believer and um, you know, growing and, you know, for what, what you can see, you never know with your kids, right? But you see these, you know, see certain things, fruit and everything. He's convicted by sin and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, that's that's Cole. Is so, he healthy? Yeah, he's very healthy. Yep, yep, small. But, um, you know, he's found his niche. He runs cross country and distance track. So, you know, because he just never gets tired, right? So <laughs> he just... smell. <laughs> 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 yeah, so that's his that's his thing. So it's not a not an ounce of body fat on him, but yeah, yeah, that's Cole. So yeah, we um, we brought him home uh, right for his first, first birthday. So we always celebrate his gotcha day, which is uh, you know the day we picked him up from the orphanage. That's like a um, June eighth, and then his birthday's uh, June fourteenth. Uh, so it's like a just a week span. He has a lot of celebrations right there in a few days so yeah yeah that's cool anything else any questions all right um i, I will say mark uh was deeply sanctified yesterday uh, <laughs> yeah i actually took the boys to the a and we'll miss game and we we lost on the last second mystery miss oh football. that yeah. was yeah, I watched that. Brutal. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> we had a big comeback, and then we lost at the end. Um, yeah, we drove. We I did a uh, took Nate to down to SEMO for a college visit on Friday, and then we uh, stayed in Memphis, and then went to the game Saturday morning, and then drove back last night. So we got home about nine. So yeah, I saw that score. I went, <laughs> yeah. I went oh, the Lord sanctifying my dear brother <laughs> right now. Thirty-eight, thirty-five. I mean, it they were still... losing fourteen nothing when I checked it. Yeah. Oh, I thought we were, it looked like we were going to get blown out, but we came back. It was, it was fun. Yeah. It was a fun game. Yeah. Uh, we kid each other because I, I say his his uh, his idol is Texas A&M football. Yeah. 
and my idol is my my yard. So we <laughs> go back and forth on our idol. Who's At doing? Least your yard is successful, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 My yard. My yard is <clears throat> not a loser. But anyway, did I say that? I I can't believe I said that to my brother. Uh, all right. Thanks, Mark, so much. Appreciate that. Um, he is such a dear man, and I hope you get to know him. And his reason I wanted you to hear about his son is because. Cole is such a picture of what God has done for us. God plucked us out of our desperate situation, rescued us, and made us his children. And that's what uh, Mark and Sarah did for Cole. They, he, they literally rescued him out of a really desperate situation, brought him here. He gets saved. I mean, it's a beautiful picture of what God has done for us, so, which is why I want to you to say something about Cole because it's such a beautiful illustration. I hope he'll. I'm sure he'll appreciate that more and more over time. That his life is a is a is really a picture of what God has done. So, all right, he's a great guy. I hope you get to know him. And Sarah is just an outstanding administrator. We have been so blessed by her. I mean, such a joy. What's that? And then everything you see is Sarah. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. That's Anything printed. All those signs. Yeah. And, and she's only part-time. Um, I don't know how she does it all in part-time. And, and no matter what we ask her, she does it. And, um, and she doesn't complain. She doesn't, you know, pick her. She doesn't say, I don't know if I can get to this. She goes, okay, I'll take care of it. And the other day, Lynn called her and thanked her for all the stuff she did for the Thursday night uh, friendship podcast. And Sarah goes, it's my job, Lynn. Okay, just wanted to thank you because you do it so well. Um, so she's wonderful. I hope you get to know her. All right, let's get to our, our class here. We've, we've, we've talked about the first, the first week, we talked about what is a church. Um, I won't, won't review that. I did give you, a, uh, I hope, somewhat of a compelling argument why you should be a member if you choose to be one because, um, as Mark said, we want to know who's committed to us and who we're responsible to God for. And um, somebody asked me the other day, well, what do you do with a church attender who comes but is not a member? And I said, here's, here's where it gets rough, is if there's uh, issues that we have to attend to, and we've got four or five major issues that are de we're dealing with for our members, we're going to give them first priority we, because we're accountable to God for them. Uh, that sounds like a harsh reality. It is a harsh reality. It's a practical reality. We only have so much bandwidth. And again, I think I told you, please pray. We're working with a couple of men now to be elders. And uh, I hope that works out because the more elders we have, the more bandwidth we'll have. And uh, it'll, it will be very helpful to us. But we're very, very careful, as I told you from, what, class four last week? Was it last week we talked about elders? And I think we did. Um, and how important it is to vet, uh, to vet these men because as the leadership goes, so goes the church. And we have to be very, very careful. Uh, I've been in a church where the leadership was just awful, um, uh, ongoing, unrepentant sin. That, you know what? That's the problem. I'm pushing the wrong button. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> please keep that to yourself. Uh, all right. So... Um, the importance of a church and becoming a member, it's, it is important, and we do push it uh, for that reason. Um, then the second class was a commitment to the reputation of, uh, I'm sorry, a commitment to unity, doctrinal unity primarily. There are reasons why there isn't unity, but we, we, dwelled, uh, we dwelled that particular week on doctrinal unity. It's really important that we're aligned, but 
as I said, and I hope you heard this well, there are issues that there is lots of freedom, like eschatology, end times, what's going to happen? Lots of freedom. Um, but all we would ask is that if you have a differing view than us, say you think we all are going through the tribulation, uh, first of all, say it with tears in your eyes because it's going to be horrific, um, then, then you know, don't make it your soapbox. Don't make it a, a point of contention and disunity. It has happened. So we just ask that you not do that. As a member, you just um, that's a way to respect the elders and not create this division. Oh, you can banter, you know, yeah, take me to McDonald's, give me an Egg McMuffin. We'll talk end times all day long, as long as I got an Egg McMuffin in my mouth. We'll talk all day long. But we'll probably agree to disagree. That's okay. That's fine. That's just so you know that. Now, obviously, the fundamentals, no, there's no wiggle room there. Who is Jesus? What is the Trinity? Um, what do we think of the Bible? Um, the fundamentals, we don't, we don't wiggle there. If you don't agree with us, then this is not your place. This is not a place for you on those fundamentals. And you can review those in your, in your book. And then uh, I think uh, the week after that, we talked about the reputation of Christ, how we fight sin in our own lives, um, how we personally battle sin, and we expect everybody. That's the process of sanctification. Um, the practice, process of sanctification is, uh, is where God um, makes you more and more like his son, like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. And I like to say it this way. It is the process whereby we sin less. We don't become sinless, but we sin less over time. You fall, you get up, you fall, you get up, and maybe the falls are a little bit farther apart. But the Lord is working on you. And I've been able to say to somebody recently, oh, this, this is so hard. I got mad again. And I reminded him, hey, it's been like months, right? You were doing this every day. Remember, the Lord is at work. It's, uh, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. But, but we, we all have to be engaged in the process. And that means we hold each other accountable. Um, you know, if Lynn and I have an argument, we talk to each other and we confront each other. And then it's done. If one of us says, I'm sorry, you're right, I'm sorry, forgive me. And then it gets bigger. We talk about the circle. And then eventually it comes to church discipline where um, if somebody is unrepentant and has not been, they've been appealed to many times and they don't listen, then we have to deal with that. Why? Because we can't let sin go unchecked in the church. You've all been in churches where some man left his wife She's sad, she's distraught, and he's sitting over here with his new wife that he left her for in the same church, unchecked. It destroys morale. People look around and go, well, they don't take the Bible seriously, and we can't let that happen. And it dishonors Christ. It's not who he is. So we have to deal with that. We don't have to do it very often, praise the Lord. Um, church discipline should be occurring uh, every day in our homes or whatever, the short term, this little one-on-one. -on -one. So it doesn't happen very often that it gets to the point where it has to be a church-wide event. But it does happen, and we do, we do do that, So just so you know. Okay, commitment to being led. Who are the elders? Uh, what is our vetting process? What is our, we go from uh, Titus 1, uh, uh, 1 Timothy 3, uh, 1 Peter 5. We draw those character traits from there, um, and we make sure the man is character qualified. But... Uh, how many of you heard Kempis Hernandez at the men's retreat? Kempis? Yeah, he gave, he gave me five C's. I'm going to butcher them. I probably won't. But he said, this is what we do in our church. It's basically what we do. So I thought, okay, I'll use it. 
uh, character. We, uh, the man has to have character. What does he think of Christ? Does he love him? What does he think of the church? Does he love the church? Be, if he's a great Bible teacher, but you don't see him interacting with people, he's not a guy you want on the elder board. You want people who love the folks that God has brought to this church. Uh, compassion, and then there was another one, and I can't remember what it was. So there were five, but they were excellent. And uh, I'm uh, 80% is a B, so <laughs> you got to be. You got to be out of me. Um, but so we're very careful, right, about who we put in leadership for that reason. Um, oh, compatibility. That's it. That's the fifth. Um, if you've got a guy that's uh, somewhat contentious or is always, he's just a guy that you know, you bring him on the elder board and it's every meeting is going to go three hours longer. That's, and I've heard that more and more from uh, pastors, that compatibility is, they consider that as important as character. Maybe a short second, you know, right behind it. Because compatibility can, dis, uh, lack of compatibility can mess a whole elder board up. Yeah. Because I know that here they're very detailed, which I like that they look before they, uh, you know, you go through a training, who's going to be an elder and stuff like that. Say you bring somebody on and be like, hey, look, somebody bring somebody on if he turns out to be one of these people that's right. going to be a thorn in the side right. for majority of like the elder leadership right. and how do you how do you deal with that how do you correct that as far as like do we vote like hey look you know what this guy is more of a problem than and he doesn't align as you've gotten known more he doesn't align with what we're teaching how do you well that would be done at an elder level we we don't vote we're not elder we're not congregation rule so it's not a, a majority vote, but we are gauging the people and we can tell, all right, there's a rumbling and we see it ourselves, then we would deal with it at the elder board. Um, it, it, it almost happened once <laughs> where we were gonna ask somebody to step aside and they ended up just stepping aside on their own. Praise the Lord for that. So it didn't cause the kind of disunity that it could have caused. But we deal with that, that would be at an elder level. And that's why we're so careful, Steve. That's why we're so careful. When that happens, oh man, now now you, you've got a problem. Yeah, Emerson? Is there a term or is there a kind of a lifetime? Yeah, uh, there aren't. Uh, I said it, I, you, I don't know if you were here last time when I talked about that. We considered a lifetime appointment. However, however, uh, look at me, I'm getting old, right? Uh, and I tell the guys all the time, when I start drooling and ticking like this, it's time to say, Doug, you're done. You're, you're termed out. Um, so there is a time when, uh, hopefully I'll get to that point, and I'll say, um, it's time for me to go. My wife will probably tell me, uh, Doug, um, time for you to step aside. <laughs> you can't even remember which shoe goes on the right foot, so it's time for you to step aside. So hopefully that would happen. But yes, Emerson, to answer your question, seriously, um, there's no, uh, there's no term. Um, I, it has been appealing to me because uh, some churches do it. They have a three-year term, and it gives guys time to you know, like recharge because this is a hard job. It's a, it takes a lot of emotional energy to do this job. And we do do sabbaticals. Um, so uh, that's one of the reasons why for our staff pastors we do the quarterly, just weekend sabbaticals, just so they don't have they have something to look forward to, and particularly their wives. We give them a little money and say, don't, you don't have to show up. Rich always shows up. But anyway, you don't have to, and we give them an opportunity just to kind of recharge. 
But we also have had a sabbatical for one of our elders. They were just having a rough time at home. Their kids needed them more, and they stepped aside for six months from coming to the elder meetings. They were still doing elder duties, but not so much in the daily grind. So we, we, try, to, we try to be sensitive to that. Yeah, Linda, did you have? Well, Mark. Oh, Mark. Mark. So there's three lay elders. You but guys are not yeah, and Alex is not yet an elder. Um, uh, but that's by design. When a man comes in and he's new, we want people to get to know him because trust is huge. If you don't trust a man, you're not going to follow a man. So it just you can't you can't speed that up. It just takes time. Um, I mean, the church knew me for over 30 years before I became an elder. I mean, there wasn't what well 25, but it wasn't. You know, they weren't going, oh, who is this guy? You know, I mean, they knew who I was. They understood uh, my background, they, and they trusted me. And, I, I, and we understand trust is fragile. It can, it can dissipate in a week. Um, so we're, we're careful about that. But, um, yeah, so that's why Alex is not yet uh, an elder. Um, all right, was that the then? If you had more elders, do you think that you would have more sabbatical? Uh, certainly something to consider, especially, especially for a guy like me. My energy level isn't what it used to be. It just isn't. Um, and so there may come a time when I say, guys, I need, uh, I need to br- take a break. I need a three-month break. So uh, I want, I'm, not, I'm not stepping away. So we're, you know, we're not, it's not hard and stone. We just don't have, we don't have um, terms like some churches do and where they turn it over. Um, so, yeah, that answers your question. All right. Any other questions about that? Okay. Um, but the, the, the quarterly sabbaticals we give to our paid staff pastors are just wonderful. I don't know of another church that does this, and we found it to be wonderfully refreshing for these men to be able to withdraw uh, for a weekend with their families, have fun, uh, not worry about the money. We were going to give them some money to do that, and it has... It was the smartest thing. One of, one of our staff, our lay elders, came up with that idea, and I'm like, man, way to go. Wait, that was a great idea. So, uh, all right, um, where are we? Um, let's see. Um, I think that's it. Um, we talked about being led and what, what that means. Talked about the deacons a little bit. All right, the commitment to loving the church. That's where we are today. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Uh, he commands us and expects us to love each other. Uh, what does that mean? Um, does that mean warm fuzzies, um, enjoying each other's company, being happy to see each other? Well, I hope it does mean those things because there are some people that walk in the doors that I feel very warm and tender toward, and others maybe not so much. So it's not that. It's got to be something more intentional. Um, so one way is that we must be willing to serve each other. Uh, it's not just feelings. It is service. We are here to serve. Uh, the Bible refers to the church as being like a body and that it functions in submission to Christ, our head, and it has parts that are dependent on each other. Uh, Romans 12, 4, 4 to 5 says this, for just as we have many members in one body, and, and then, um, let's see, I think I just misplaced that one. Sorry. Um, Forgive me. Something I should have done before I got here. 
Um, I was going to quote the rest of that. I don't have it here. If somebody wants to read that, I'd appreciate it. Romans 12, 4 and 5. Anybody have that? For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Okay, thank you. Um, so you just heard it from her. Uh, so um, the important thing about, um, about the service is is that you are doing it with the right attitude, uh, a humble, humble attitude, the, the kind of attitude that Jesus displayed in Philippians 2, uh, an attitude that says, um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relieve myself. I'm not going to hold on to my deity. I'm going to not hold tightly to that, but I'm going to uh, put that aside, take on the form of a man, and serve to the point of death. And that's, that's the kind of service that we're asking each of us to do, elders included. Um, agape love is serving others out of uh, not feeling, but, and not just duty, um, but because of our love for Christ. Uh, we, we, we serve you because of our love for him, and our motivation stays pure that way. It's not just checking a box. That's really, really important. Um, our commitment to love the church is a commitment to follow Jesus' service-minded, self-sacrificing example. To become a member of the church and then not serve is to fail to be a member at all. Um, and that's why we really push service. Um, you, you don't just come in, do your thing. And church, going to church is really important. In fact, the entire church day is centered around the proclamation of God's word. That is the culmination of the church Sunday service is rich preaching from the pulpit. We see it in the New Testament. And so it's really important. But if that's all you're doing is coming, sitting, soaking, leaving, that's not loving the church. Not at all. Um, so we, we um, expect you as a member to serve somewhere. Somewhere. Um, I'll give you some ideas in a bit. Um, as part of your commitment to love the church, then, we're asking you to serve in some capacity. Um, in the application for membership form, there is a place to indicate where you would like to start serving. That's on the church app under forms. You'll see it. Uh, as you learn to navigate the, the app, Holly, you'll figure all this out. Um, you, you know, those th three little dots there toward the end at the bottom. You hit that, you'll see the directory, you'll see uh, in, uh, announcements, all that. I can show that to you later, but if you're having trouble with the church app, uh, we can talk to you about that. Chris Moore's coming in again to take pictures. He is the guy. He set up the church app. He's the go-to. Um, so take, take advantage of him when he comes in. But all of that, the, the, what, how you want to serve is in there. In fact, when, it, when those of you who decide to become members fill out your membership form, uh, you'll see the form. And it also has a where do you want to serve form. And you can fill that out as well. That goes to Alex who then will eventually contact you and let you know, hey, the, you said you were uh, interested in uh, the nursery. We've got uh, openings there. So, it's, so that form goes to Alex, and then the other form goes to Sarah, and then she'll contact you about when you get an interview with one of the elders. All right, the emphasis of the four key passages on spiritual gifts is to start serving immediately. So try not to get too hung up on finding the perfect match or even necessarily trying to figure out what your spiritual gifts are. Uh, where did we just hear this? Rich, on Friday morning. 
um, on spiritual gifts. How do you know what yours are? Just start serving. Just start serving. People will affirm you in certain areas. Um, you know, you go, you go start teaching the kids, and people go, wow, man, you just took really complicated issues and made them simple for kids. I, that's really interesting, you know. And you say, well, I, I, I think the Lord's gifted me there. I think I'm able to figure those things out. And so, so maybe, you know, just start serving. Start serving. Uh, your service is first, as I said before, to Jesus Christ, your love for him being your primary motivation, and secondly, to each other in this church body. Our church, it's, I want to I park there for just a minute. Uh, it is so important. In church, you've all, whether you've been from another church or you're coming here, it is so easy in church to check boxes. So easy. Yeah, I did this, I did this, I did this, I checked, I did this, I did this without checking your motivation. Um, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about what he's done for us. It's all about his death on the cross. So sometimes you have to go back to the basics. And, you know, you start whining or complaining about, oh, I'm in the nursery again. Oh, I don't want to do this again. Oh, I'm tired of doing this. Oh, I don't want to do this. You need to go back to the basics. Yeah, well, wait, have you died yet? I don't think so. Have you given your life yet? I don't think so. Um, go back to Jesus and what he gave up for you, and that'll check your heart motivation when you start serving. It's so easy, right? We're, we're just whiners, uh, complainers. Um, when, I, when we were raising our kids and they went through some drama whine, um, we would go, oh, wonderful, just wonderful. Who's the author of that? That's just wonderful. You know, oh, stop it, you know. Oh, sorry, I just, I thought you were performing. Didn't think that was real, but it was. All right, um, so uh, motivation is huge. Um, we have so many needs here. Um, uh, Sunday school always needs teachers. Um, if you have a desire to, to teach little ones, um, sign up. Matt's always looking for, for uh, people to help. Uh, we've got some wonderfully dedicated guys. We've got a, a team of uh, uh, Doug, um, Tom, Tom. Uh, those three guys are so, I mean, they've taught our grandkids. They're just so, they've been doing it for years. And uh, these such kind men. Um, and usually men don't do this, you know. And we've got a bunch of men who are signing up for this. I love it. I just love it. So there are, there are lots of ways to serve. And, of course, the nursery um, other things you can do. Uh, we got a thing coming up really soon. When's the Christmas set up? Soon? 19th. 19th of November? Yes. Yeah, if you want to stick around after church on the 19th and help those of us who put up the decorations, the more the merrier. It's a fun time. And, uh, and we, we, we make this place look pretty nice. Uh, but it's, it's work. And if you want to stick around and help, we'd love to have you. Um, so that's in a couple of weeks. Um, so those are just a few of the needs. Um, um, most of, uh, of these ministry needs can be filled by people, uh, can only be filled by people who have a membership commitment, but not all. Um, some attenders do serve. We're happy to have that, but we're also kind of, come on, come on, come on. You can, you can become a member now. It's time, you know. I mean, we've had people that have been attenders here for 10 years, uh, and their son, their teenage son started um, and now that guy's a deacon of our church, but not the teenage son, but the dad. And he goes, I saw my son, he became a member, and I'm like, ah, I got to do this. What am I doing? I'm the leader of my family, you know. So then he comes in with all his family, and, and they become members. But they were here for 10 years before that happened. 
so um, you know it's it's possible to serve and not being a, a, a tender but not be a member but we do we do strive to get people to join for the reasons I outlined before all right um, there are many ways to serve uh, other than a designated ministry day like Sunday uh, somebody might just need a ride to church you guys know this if you've been Christians for any length of time you you, you know you look around you can see needs um, somebody may be just in need of godly company somebody might just need a visit in the hospital we do have a visiting uh, um, ministry called the Care Ministry, and we're trying to. This is brand new. What, take it off, take the load completely off the elders. Although I love going and visiting people in the hospital, um, we um, we are trying to distribute that to the small groups. So if somebody in our small group is in a hospital, well, what better person to go visit them than somebody they already know that's been in their small group so we're trying to do that but that's just another another ministry we have called the care ministry it's under sean uh ray uh, he leads that i'm over that um sean's the, the deacon over it um so uh one other thing I, i'll mention because i like to brag on these folks but back during covid um john and carol callan an older couple in their late 70s um just saw the need they said all right uh, we're closed down. We've got older folks that uh, could use a little tender, loving fellowship and a meal. So they started making Carol's famous chicken noodle soup, which I would pay for <laughs> in any fancy restaurant. I mean, it is so good. And she, they just started bringing that to people's houses. They put them on the porch. They call them. They, of course, they gave them heads up. And they'd come out and they'd chat with them from their cars and just give them a meal. What a joy. Oh, what a kind thing to do. And they did that not because somebody prompted them, but because they love the people of the church. And that's why they did it. Um, and then small group, I can push that. I, I think it's a really important way to get to know folks. I know it's hard initially because you don't know everybody in that group. But as you come and, and interact, uh, you begin to realize, oh, my gosh, they've got problems just like me. All right, I, I can take my guard down. Uh, I don't have to pretend anymore, and it's uh, it's just very real. And I think small groups are great. It just takes a while. So if you're in a small group and you've not had that experience, it takes a while to build that kind of camaraderie and and friendship. It just takes a while. Um, so hang in, Holly. Is it yeah. Topic based or what is this? No topic? sermon. We uh, most of the guys now uh, are there exceptions. It might be one or two exceptions because we have small group from Sunday all the way through Friday, every night. Uh, and then t a couple of uh, daytime small groups that are for retired people only, um, meaning they don't want kids there because they don't have any babysitting. So, um, so, so we've got plenty of those. And then we cover um, um, questions, application questions for the sermon. So you hear the sermon. Rich puts a ton of time into those sermons. And then you go and you forget it. Well, no, small group. We, we bring it back up, and we talk about how to apply it. Like Jesus said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. My small group question was, um, do you experience that kind of peace? How do you get that kind of peace? Or, or do you have the worldly peace where it's circumstantial? I mean, that's what we talk about, one of them. Um, so it's application. That's what we do. I, I, I don't know if all of them do that, but all of them are moving toward that, and that's one of Alex's jobs. I love him for this. You'll see him sitting back there, and you'll see him either writing out questions or sending them already. He's, by the time Rich says amen, Alex has sent small group leaders five or six questions. We don't have to use them. I think this week I don't think I used one of his. 
I went on my own. But you can, and it's a tremendous resource. He is such a blessing. So, yeah, that's what we do, Holly, um, is we try to, we, we see the importance of the sermon. We want to apply it. Um, why just waste all that rich, rich treasure? Uh, so, all right. So, um, one another's. In class, we explain the biblical understanding of church. What is a church? That was class one. We called it, uh, I mentioned in that class that oftentimes we run into people who say, I don't need a church. You know, I'm, I, I know, you guys got, got to run. It's fine. Uh, I don't need a church. I'm, you know, I, I, I sit in my, my boat, I fish, I, I'm, I see creation. That's my church. No, that's not church. <laughs> that's not church the way Jesus defined it. And, and the, the most important uh, rebuttal to that is it is impossible to sit in a fishing boat and do all the one another's the Bible has. Um, and we're going to talk about a few of those one another's. I just want you to know I took them from, from this guy, uh, Stuart Scott. Some of you know who Stuart Scott is. He's on, on the uh, he's at Master Seminary. Uh, he is a, a biblical counselor. He taught my own son. Uh, I had lunch with him. I'm, he's a tremendously gifted man, but a very, very humble man. Um, saw him two years after our, we had that lunch, and uh, he was signing these, these books. I was standing in line getting this book, and he goes, oh, Doug, tell me how Emily's doing. It's my daughter. I said, seriously? Yeah, I've been praying for her. Uh, okay, I have been praying for your kids. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> we'll miss you guys. See ya. Um, so anyway, that's where I got this, this 31 one another's, and we're going to roll through a few of them. Um, all right, within the triune God, there's relationship, right? Uh, it's all about relationship. He created us for a relationship, and that relationship ex is, is expressed not only within our families, but in this church family. Relationship, uh, getting to know each other. Um, so let's take a little bit of time and look at some of those one another's. Uh, the most obvious one is, <laughs> uh, I think, uh, that needs to be stated is the command just to be together. Um, uh, Roman, I mean, Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good, good works. And then he goes on to say in verse 25 how to do that. And here it is, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's talking about the day of Christ when he comes back. And how much more relevant is that today than when Paul wrote that or whoever wrote the Hebrews? Um, so the first thing I say to you, if you want to do one, uh, uh, one of the most important one another, you've got to be here. You've got to be here. Show up. Um, it's impossible for you to see someone crying on a, uh, off to the side and not, and not say something to them because you're sitting there watching a live stream on your couch. Um, you can't do that. You can't minister to that person. Can I help you? What can I do for you? Can I pray with you, brother? What's going on? You can't do that. Uh, if you're not here in person. Um, so uh, why do we need to say that, especially today? Well, in this day of live streaming, and we didn't have live streaming until COVID. That's when we got it. And we had it. We didn't do it by design. We didn't want people sitting at home. But um, we realized practical realities, and during COVID, we had to have it. So we got it up and running. And our fear was that some people would say, wow, this is easy. I don't even have to change. Uh, I, the, I, one of the first pictures I took 
and when we were all shut down, is I had my pajama bottoms on, and I had a tie on, on my top pajama tie. I said, hey, I'm dressed for church, ready to go. All right, bring it to us, you know. Uh, but obviously it was a joke. Um, I'm not going to do that. I want to be here. And the first time we did come back here, there were just 70 folks in there. 70. Um, because there was still a lot of fear. We, we were one of the first churches to come back. Um, because we saw the value of coming back. We were willing to say, uh, it's more important for us to be together. And still, we exercised caution, you know, but that first variant of COVID was deadly. It was killing people. So we didn't want to be stupid. So we had, we were masking. Now we've learned things about masks and all that. I'm not getting into that. But um, we did that. We separated. We, we tried to disinfect. We did all of those things. So there were just 70 here. And I was in tears. I was up in front listening to my brothers and sisters singing, tears streaming down my face, because I miss them. I miss them. I wanted to be here. I wanted to be with my people, with God's people, singing praises to him together. And it was, I, I didn't realize how important that was until we couldn't. So our concern was people would get used to it. That's why, you know, we were not doing it for a while. But, and there are still some. I gently admonished a man a couple of weeks ago and said, I haven't seen you, brother. Yeah, we're watching on live stream. I said, brother, mm -mm. why aren't you here? Well, we've got some puppies and we, mm -mm. no, no, that's not a good reason, brother. You need us and we need you. And guess who was here last week and made sure he gave me a hug. <laughs> he was here. He said, I know this is my church. I want to be here. I said, good. I'm really glad to see you. You need to be here. So we were concerned about that. All right, the second one, be devoted to one another in brotherly love and affection, Romans 12, 10. Uh, Paul uses a term here that's traditionally associated with family, that is blood relatives, to show how believers should treat one another. He's calling believers to have a devotion to other believers. Uh, that's the same as one's devotion to your immediate family members um, because we're all part of the family of Christ. Again, we are a family, and we should treat each other as a family. And I do know that in some cases, um, you know, you feel closer to people here because of your spiritual bond than you do to your own family members. It's true in our family as well. There are some family members we feel very, very close to because of, they love Christ and others who don't. And so it's very surfacey, but we still love them. But it's not quite the same. That's why the here is so good. Everybody that walks through the doors, unless they're brand new and they don't know Christ and they're just kind of wondering what's going on here, uh, are uh, no Christ, and uh, there's this bond. Um, we're all together. We're all in this fallen world, just <laughs> struggling through, uh, trying to do life. But um, we're here in this, what I call a spiritual church hospital for the sin sick who are striving to live more and more like Christ. But, but you know, working at it. Um, and there's just a bond. A love. I mean, haven't you felt that when you've gone overseas or wherever? Mm -hmm. You go overseas, you run into a brother, and all of a sudden it's like you know, you've known each other for years. You're, in, you're, you're loving this guy because he loves Christ. There's an instant bond. It's not true uh, anywhere else. I remember reading Chuck Colson's book uh, years ago. Am I dating myself? Anyone remember Chuck Colson? He was known as Nixon's hatchet man. He went to jail. He was the only one that went to jail over Watergate. He got saved in jail. And he came out of jail and started this ministry called Prison Fellowship. And, uh, and he said, this 
concept of how brothers come together was demonstrated when he came out of jail and he met two guys at a conference. Uh, one, um, I think it was Eldridge Cleaver, an African-American guy who was radical but became a Christian. Um, I'm not sure, if, is he still around? Does anybody know Eldridge Cleaver? Am I dating myself? I sure am. All right, Eldridge Cleaver, he was, a, he was like a panther. He came to Christ and then um, a, a, a Jewish believer who was a businessman, all he cared about was making money. He came to Christ and the three of them, he said the three of us met in this hallway and were hugging each other. Where else does that happen except at the foot of the cross? Where? It doesn't, not in this world. But it happens when people come to Christ, and that's the beauty of it. Um, okay, so be devoted to one another and brotherly love. Next one, be kind to one another, Ephesians 4.32. Uh, some of you might have a life verse. This is mine. Uh, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other as God, for Christ's sake, has already forgiven you, Ephesians 4.32. It is my life verse. Mike Tharp came up to me. You know, Mike, um, great guy if you don't know him, but he came up to me and said, Brother, what's your life verse? I told him. He said, all right, here. He gave me a, a disk drive of 30 uh, pictures. He said, I, take, I took these pictures. Um, pick one, and I'll put your life verse on it. And we have it proudly um, displayed in our living room. Beautiful picture of two mountains, a church, and a field, and aspen trees turning gold. Just gorgeous. And at the bottom, be kind one to another, tenderhearted. So it's a, it is my verse. I love that verse. But kindness is the first part of that. There's a couple of them in there. But, Kind, be kind to each other and also tender-hearted to each other and all forgiving one another. There's a couple of one another's in that very verse. So kindness, just kindness. Uh, go a long way just to be a little bit kind. You know, if you're treated poorly, just show kindness. If you're, you know, people cut you off, show a little kindness. If you're at the drive through and it's rough, um, show a little kindness. Uh, you know, do that. Uh, just show kindness even when you don't want to, um, but especially to each other. Uh, then the next one, forgive one another. That's, again, Ephesians 4.32 and Colossians 3.13. I think if we did that, um, if we forgave each other better, uh, there would be uh, far less problems in the church, far less problems, if we just learn how to forgive. And the only way you can forgive is if you do a real heart inventory of your own depravity. If you really do that and you realize, oh, my gosh, he forgave me. When I think, when I have that Rolodex of sins that just keep cropping up in my mind, he took those on the cross for me. I can forgive that person for doing this to me. I can forgive. We were enemies of Christ when he forgave us. So if we could just get that concept down of forgiveness, it would alleviate a lot of the bitterness we have in our heart and toward each other. Forgiving. Comfort. This is a good one. First Thessalonians 4.18. The context here is very interesting. Comfort one another. The context is, um, is the day of Christ. It, it refers to comforting each other with the truth that one day, one day we're going to be with Christ. When someone's facing like a life-threatening illness, you don't want to comfort them with false hope. Hey, brother, you're going to be okay. I mean, I've heard that. I've got a cousin that's got stage four lung cancer. It's in his bones. We're not saying, hey, God's going to heal you. Hey, brother. But uh, what I am saying is, and I said this to him just a couple months ago, I went down to Houston to talk to him just about the gospel, and he told me he trusted Christ as his Savior, and I said, all right, brother, listen to me. I don't know if you're going to outlive me. I don't know if you're going to die next week. I don't know if you're going to live for another 10, 20, 30. I don't know. But here's what I do know. 
that, that hope that you just said that you had should sustain you no matter what happens in this life. That's a hope that you can hang on to. Years ago, there was a lady, a young lady named Christy Hummert. She was 30. Um, she had cancer, and it caught it way too late. And um, she had just gotten married. I mean, you know, her life was ahead of her. You've all heard these stories before, but this is Christy was in our church. And, uh, and Lynn and I um, sent, uh, brought her um, uh, a, um, I think it was a CD, that she had a CD player in her hospital room, in her hospice room. And then they brought her home. But she had a, we gave her a CD of David Phelps' song, No More Night. Uh, have I mentioned that here? David Phelps? It's the best song I've ever heard. It's the, he has the best voice I have ever heard. Uh, I'm, that's not exaggeration. He has the best voice I've ever heard. Uh, David Phelps, P-H-E-L-P-S, No More Night. And we were told later after Christy died, <coughs> she just kept hitting the repeat. There will be no more night. And she just kept hitting, hitting, hitting. No more tears. No more. Just on and on and on. And she, that ushered her into eternity. Did that bring her comfort? Oh, yes, it did. Why? Because she had the hope of Christ. And we wanted to remind her. That's what this means. So comfort one another in that way. Um, this, is a, this is rough. Life is rough, right? But this isn't, this isn't the end. As our culture erodes around us, it's good for us to comfort each other with these words. It will not always be this way. It just won't. It's going to get better one day. But it might get a lot worse on this planet now, but it won't always be this way. That's comforting. Okay, bear with one another. Colossians 3.13. This is a reference to how we are to endure and put up with one another <laughs> when there's not an obvious sin. Sometimes we're just annoying, right? <laughs> Um, my wife says to me all the time, you're just being super annoying today. Oh, okay. Bear with one another, honey. <laughs> but you don't want to hear that. <laughs> but that's what, it, that's what it means. You know, that, uh, there's some people you're just drawn to. You know, other people you're like, um, and they might feel the same way about you. You're a little quirky. Okay, you put up with that. Why? Because you love this brother. You love this sister. You just put up with it. You bear with one another. And it means putting up with one another's imperfections, strange values, idiosyncrasies, habits. You're not putting up with sin. You're not, I'm not talking about that. We're just talking about personality quirks. You know, we all have them. Um, we all have blind spots. We just put up with them. You know, um, we just do it. Um, I had a lady I met on the way out uh, to church, and I was talking to her for five minutes, and she goes, um, do you know who I am? I'd call her a certain name. I said, um, obviously, you're going to correct me. So tell me, who are you? And she told me. It was so embarrassing. I was so embarrassed. My hope is that she knew this verse. And she, she put up with me for, that, for those moments. Showed grace. And that really, that's what it is, right? It's just showing grace because you've been shown grace. Just, you know, don't be too harsh, too quick. Just show grace. Um, I look for people in this church that I know don't have this huge group of friends. And maybe they're a little bit different. I look for them, and I, I try to ask them, how you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? Are you doing okay? What's going on? My son Josh has a couple of people that have come to his church who have definite mental problems. One lady, sweet lady, she started telling me about her cat, and, uh, and she went on and on about her cat. Well, immediately I knew she had some mental 
difficulty, right? I just loved her. I just said, tell me more about your cat. Why do you love your cat so much? You know, I just love my cat. You know, and uh, but that's that's just we just we just show each other grace. You know, that's what we do. Do not speak evil against one another. Um, gossip and slander is terrible. Gossip is telling the truth about somebody behind their back. Uh, slander is lying about them. And the Bible says one of the one of the words for the devil is slanderer, diabolicus. I think slanderer. You're never more like the devil than when you are slandering someone else, telling lies about them. Um, I, to my shame, I've probably done this. I, I know I have. Maybe I'm, 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 it's been a while, um, but I've certainly had it happen to me. I've certainly gossiped. Certainly done that. And uh, it's very convicting when the Lord shows you, you know what you just did? You brought somebody into the situation that has nothing to do with the remedy. You just did it because it felt good to put somebody else down so you could put yourself up. Gossip. Do not do that, uh, James says. Do not speak evil against one another. It creates all sorts of division and disunity. And then confess to one another. Um, that's really, really important to confess. We have these accountability groups that I've told you about. You're not just blabbing to everybody your problems and your sins. No, this is relational. You're confessing to somebody you've offended and asking for their forgiveness. Or in an accountability group, you're confessing so that other guys can hold you accountable. Um, it's all important. It's part of the one another's. Uh, and then be at peace with one another. This is a little self-serving because that it's First Thessalonians 5.13. Um, the Bible says, uh, um, let's see, uh, be at peace with one another. And then the following verse says, regard your leaders very highly in love because of their work. Actually, it's the other way around. Regard leaders very highly because of their work. And then it says, live in peace with one another. So it has to do with being at peace with um, church members, church elders, church leaders, um, be at peace with them. Of course, the concept applies across the board, but church leaders. Um, so if you have a problem with one of us, we have an open door policy. Come and talk to us. Ask us. Um, I had somebody say, hey, I heard you say this. Um, and it, it sounded really bad. I said, really, when, did I, when do you think you heard that? Uh, on this day. And I said, well, I can tell you for a fact that I would never have said that. I'm not even sure what you're talking about, but um, I really appreciate you bringing that to my attention. Why? Because you would harbor resentment toward me if you hadn't. And I'm really glad you said something. So we always have an open door policy. Please come uh, talk to us if you have a problem, uh, an issue. We will, we're, we're wide open to that. And we open up the elder meeting too. Uh, second Tuesday of every month right here. Uh, if you want to come in and talk about an issue, we'll, we'll make time for that. Yeah. Does the pastor have the same uh, view of you can ask him any questions? Oh, yeah, Rich is too accessible. <laughs> I rebuke him all the time. He's, uh, yeah, yeah, he is very, very accessible. And, uh, you know, as the church grows, it gets harder and harder. But, yeah, Rich is, yeah, if you, if you, if you see his name in there, text him and say, have you got a minute for a phone call? You're going to get a phone call. Jeremiah, on the other hand, he's like the president of the United States. <laughs> you got to go through layers of people to get to him. He's just so busy. Uh, I kid him about that all the time. All right, and then one thing, I'll, and this is how I'm going to conclude. I want to tell you something that Lynn and I do to love this church. And I think we've told you this before. The reason I say it is because it's been so effective for us 
in loving the people of this church. And it's just so simple. When we pull up, we've been doing this for over a decade. We pull up, I think I mentioned this to you, I'm going to say it again because I want you guys to do it too. I don't want you to go, oh yeah, that's nice for him. No, I would really like if you guys started doing that. Pull up in the church parking lot, grab your partner's hands. If you're alone, just pray and say, Lord, please. I've got all sorts of burdens. I want to put those aside. We got a rough week, Lynn and I. A rough week. Got a son that just went through a divorce. He's here. Um, two broken kids. You know, we put that aside. We, Lord, please help us to put that aside. It's not about us. It's about others. We want, we want to serve others. So we ask the Lord to intentionally turn our attention away from us to others. How are you doing? What's going on? Tell me about your life. That kind of thing. And if everybody did that. If everybody came in with that, we'd be, say, we'd be saying, no, no, how about you? No, how about you? We'd be fighting over who's going to you know, serve the other person. And I, I just think it's so effective. That's why I say it. It's been effective for Lynn and I. It's simple, simple, simple to do. It's a good way to, to love the church better. And that's it. That's all I got for you today. Any questions? All right, next week, Alex is going to teach it. Chris Moore's in the back. If you want to take your picture, he's here to do that. Uh, Alex will teach next week and please if you're not going to be here next week be sure to look through those things that you'll be committing uh, when Rich asks you to say I will please be, be sure to look through those things uh, uh, so that, that's it um, no questions alright thanks we'll see you next week I won't